0: Amen. Hey, I'm Pastor Ken and I just want to say welcome and I want to say happy Thanksgiving. I just met some people earlier who are here from uh, from out of town. Glad that you're in. Hope that you have a wonderful week. So let me introduce to you our preacher of the day. His name is Michael McDowell And those of you who have been in the church for a long time, you know Michael. He grew up here. He went to Providence School behind us. He went to Rice University. Then he went to Duke Divinity School. He got married to Elizabeth three and a half years ago. And then about a year ago, they moved to Washington, D.C., where he's on staff of a church that's called King's Church. He's not on the same church where Ben Stewart is, but... Isn't that cool that there's great things happening in churches in D.C.? He's doing a fantastic job uh, there. And when I caught wind that he was coming home uh, with Elizabeth to see family for Thanksgiving, I said, well, then I think you need to come and preach us a Thanksgiving message. And he has a great one for us. Welcome back to Faith Bridge, Michael McDowell.
1: FaithBridge, it is good to be with you, whether you are here uh, in person or you're coming to us online, I'm glad to be back. Hey, we're going to be in Luke chapter 17 this morning, starting in verse 11. If you need a Bible, there are ushers coming down the aisle. You can raise your hand and they'll give that to you and uh, you can even keep it if, if you need a Bible. That's our gift to you today. Like Ken said, I did grow up here at Faith Bridge. I grew up in the kids' ministry. I grew up in Elevate. I grew up in Point Break and that means that some of you knew me growing up which is kind of a weird feeling because I was kind of strange as a kid. And I think my parents always knew this, but they couldn't deny it after a trip that we all took together. I was about 12 years old. My little brothers, Kyle and Philip were about 10 and 8, and we all went to Disney World together. Just your classic American vacation, right? And after three days of wandering around the park with their well-behaved and beautiful boys, my parents decided that they didn't want to walk around the park with their well-behaved and beautiful boys anymore, and they figured out that they needed a break. And so they went back to the hotel. But before they did, they pulled me aside, and they did the coolest thing that parents could possibly do. My dad looked me in the eye, and he said, what we don't know won't hurt us. And then he handed me money. (laughs) Cold, hard cash. Untraceable, right? No Visa card notification gonna rat me out. We could spend that money on anything. Or so we thought, it wasn't that much, but we could spend that money on anything. And so as my parents walked away, my brothers, they got so excited and they started to talk about all of the things that we could buy with this gift. We could get seven funnel cakes. We could get a Lilo and Stitch plushie. We could go to Splash Mountain and get a totally unnecessary picture together, right? The possibilities were endless. But you know what we did with that money? Nothing. Not a single thing. Because as my brothers began to get excited about this gift and spin their wheels about all of the things that we could do with it, I moved in the opposite direction. And I didn't receive the gift with gratitude. Instead, I turned inwards and thought about all of the ways that this could make my life worse or harder, right? What if we bought seven funnel cakes? Well, then probably Philip's going to end up throwing up in a trash can in Magic Kingdom. And we're going to end up in the office of some Disney bureaucrat. And my parents will have to come get us and we'll never have fun again for the rest of our lives. So, we sat on a bench on Main Street, USA for three hours. Just kind of stewing in my own weird anxiety and selfishness. And when my parents came, uh, my brothers promptly told them what had happened. And even between the the services, Philip came up to me and said, you know, I'm still angry about that. And, you know... Fair enough, right? Now I tell this story to illustrate the difference between gratitude and selfishness. All right? My parents gave us a gift. And on the one hand, my brothers received that gift with gratitude and that led them to excitement, led them to think about all of the things that they could do with that gift, and about the ways that their lives could be better as a result of that gift. But I received that gift with anxiety. And so I turned inwards, I received it with selfishness and I only thought about myself. And all that led was to anxiety and stress and worry and it made my afternoon bad and it affected my brother's afternoons too and it made their afternoon bad, right? That there's a tension between gratitude and selfishness, that in response to gifts that we're given, we can respond with gratitude on the one hand and selfishness on the other. And maybe we feel this tension more in this season, maybe even more this week than any other time of year, right? It's Thanksgiving week. It's the holiday that literally has the word thanks in it. And we go into Thanksgiving with all sorts of expectations about the way the holiday is gonna go, right? Everyone's gonna get together. They're all gonna be super well dressed. Everyone's gonna be really well behaved. The food's gonna come out on time. We're all gonna be so nice to each other. Maybe we'll even go around in a circle and we'll say things that we're grateful for. And no one will be sarcastic and say that they're grateful for their brother being a horrible person or something like that, right? (laughs) And everything will go according to plan. Some of you are laughing. Because you know that that's not the reality. That when you cram all of your family together into one place, if you're celebrating with family, you cram them together into one house, one apartment, people's selfishness just starts to pop up in so many beautiful and unique ways, right? That the little cousins, they get together and their selfishness starts to pop up. And they start to argue and bicker about where they're gonna sit at the table and whether they're gonna play and eat inside or outside, right? And then dad... He's on the couch. He's watching the game. He doesn't move. Selfishness is there. The uncle has about 10 weird articles bookmarked in his phone that he wants to talk about, and it's all that he talks about. There's selfishness there, right? And all of a sudden, this day that's supposed to be about gratitude becomes about selfishness, right? But man, let's say you make it through Thanksgiving unscathed. What happens the next day? There's Black Friday, and then there's Cyber Monday. And then there's Prime Day, and you have all of these little fake holidays that exist to convince you that not only is your selfishness not a problem, it's actually good, that you need more stuff, that you need to buy more, that you've had a hard week and you deserve it, that actually you need to treat yourself that this is all good, that you just need to go and buy as much as you possibly can. And again, this season that's supposed to be about gratitude turns into selfishness. Right, Americans are, are kind of a, a, a selfish group of people, I hate to say it, maybe you know that. Uh, you see this in all sorts of different ways, but I think you really see this when you focus on how Americans think about gratitude. One study, one nationwide study that I found showed that Americans, only 10% of Americans think that gratitude is an important emotion to feel on a weekly basis. What does that say about the other 90%? Then I saw another study that only 20% of Americans actually report feeling grateful on a weekly basis. And so what happens when we're not engaging with gratitude? What happens when we allow selfishness instead of gratitude to fill our hearts and run rampant in our hearts? Well, I think you'd see two separate trends. That on the one hand, some people throw a fit and they cross their arms and they sit back and they say that because there is nothing in my life to be thankful for, I'm not gonna do anything. And on the other hand, You see some people swing to the other extreme. That some people say, because there's nothing in my life to be thankful for, I'm gonna go out and find it. I'm gonna make it. I'm gonna produce it. I'm going to buy it. And you see both of those trends in the American public right now. That on the one hand, more Americans are anxious and depressed than ever before. And on the other, more Americans are buying more stuff than ever before. Right? When we allow selfishness to run rampant in our hearts, it can actually lead us to places that make our lives worse. What the Bible says is that our hearts are selfish. This is us. It's not just other people. It's not just other Americans, but this is us. And that as a result, we need an antidote to selfishness. And what Luke's gonna show us today is that that antidote to selfishness is gratitude. That in response to the gift of God, we can go one of two ways. We can go the way of selfishness, and that will only ever lead us to anxiety and worry and hopelessness and despair. Or we can go the way of gratitude, and going the way of gratitude will help us to understand ourselves and our lives and our good giver differently. And as a result, it will lead us to peace And rest. So that's what Luke's gonna show us today in this story about 10 men who have leprosy. Again, we're in Luke 17, starting in verse 11. We'll also have this on the screen. Luke says this, that on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. And as he was going into a village, 10 men who had leprosy met him. And they stood at a distance and they called out in a loud voice, Jesus, master, have pity on us. And when he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Now, imagine with me that you're in Jesus's inner circle, right? You're traveling along with him. You're traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee, and you're headed to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, thumbs up. We love Jerusalem. It's great. Gives us a big smile on our faces. But where Jesus is right now, Galilee's fine. It's a little backwater right? Maybe a little redneck, but it's mostly fine. But Samaria is absolutely not fine. This is two thumbs down. This is a frown on our face. We don't like Samaria, right? If you've been traveling along with us for the last couple of years as we've gone through Luke and Acts, you know that Samaria is a problem because Samaritans live in Samaria. And Samaritans have intermarried with the oppressors of the Jewish people. They've set up their own priestly system. They've set up their own temple. And so they're they're traitors, right? They're heretics, they're blasphemers and, and Jews are not supposed to have anything to do with them. So if you're in Jesus's inner circle, you're traveling along with Jesus here, you're starting to get a little nervous, right? maybe a little twitchy because you might come across a Samaritan and you don't want that. And then things get worse. Because as Jesus enters into this village, he, he doesn't see any Samaritans at first, but he does see a group of lepers. And lepers refers to anyone at the time that had kind of had a, a skin condition that was contagious, that couldn't be healed. And so in that time, if you were a leper, you were considered ritually unclean. You couldn't be around other people. So someone would make you go to the priest. The priest would look at you and say, yeah, that's a skin condition that's contagious and can't be cured. And he would kick you out of the town and you would live in this little colony with other lepers where probably you would be for the rest of your life because in all likelihood at that time, you're not getting healed of something like that. And so Jesus comes into this town and he sees lepers, right? Not only are there potentially bad people here, but there are also sick people here. And so if you're in Jesus's inner circle, you're thinking that this town is like that, like that one door at the doctor's office that has the radioactive symbol on it. Like the only thing that could be behind that door is sickness and harm and danger, and we've gotta book it, we've gotta get out of there. That's what you'd be telling Jesus. But of course, that's not what Jesus does. That is these 10 men see Jesus, they understand that there's someone here who's more powerful than them and could heal them. And they cry out. And Jesus doesn't run. He doesn't go away. He doesn't distance himself from them. But he calls back. And look, this illustrates something that we see in the Bible again and again, that there is no point at which you are too broken and sick to call out to Jesus, that if you need Jesus and you want Jesus, you can call out to him and he will call out back to you, that if you seek Jesus, you'll find out that he's been seeking you from even before the time that you were born, that Jesus goes to those who are sick, that he responds to those who call out to him. And that's what he does for these 10 men. He responds to them and he tells them what they need to do. They need to go on their way and they need to show themselves to the priests. And what they'll find is that when they get themselves to the priests, they're healed. Because again, in this time, the priest is the one who would tell you to go into the little leper colony and the priest was also the one that would say, yeah, I remember you, you had that thing and now you're healed and now you can enter back into society. And what Jesus is saying is, man, if you listen to me, if you go on the way, you go into that, you go and show yourselves to the priest's and you'll find that you're healed. And that's exactly what happens, that as they go, they were healed. And this is the end of the story, right? Nice little Jesus story. Makes us feel all warm and fuzzy inside. We can go home early and watch the Texans, right? Hold on, there's something else that's happening here. We'll skip ahead a few verses to verse 17. Jesus asked, he's talking about these 10 guys. He asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And so he's looking at these nine men who go on their way, who are healed, that go and show themselves to the priests, and he says that, that something's gone wrong. And on the surface, we say, what is it that's gone wrong? They listened to Jesus. They went. They showed themselves to the priests. They were healed. Well, what Jesus is saying is that they took the gift of God, that Jesus had given them something that they couldn't make happen by themselves, that they did not deserve, and they took that gift, and they used it to get out of that town and move ahead in their life. That the gift did not lead them back to Jesus, but instead it led them away from Jesus, right? Right? That what they've shown by their actions is that they didn't really want Jesus. They didn't really want Jesus. They just wanted what Jesus could do for them. That they loved the gift while they were cold to the giver. That in other words, their hearts had grown selfish. Their hearts had grown entitled. That they didn't allow the gifts to move them back towards Jesus in worship and gratitude like their one friend, like we'll see. But instead, their hearts seized the gift and they used it to move on they were entitled to the gift while they were cold to the giver and this is what luke is saying selfishness does to us selfishness as it worms its way into our heart as it kind of functions as the natural disposition of our heart actually leads us away from jesus because it turns us in on ourselves and it makes us focus on the things that we want, the things that we need. It makes us cry out more. And as we cry out more, it leads us further and further away from the giver who is good. Right, it's like at Christmas time. Maybe you know a kid like this, or maybe you were this kid. I was this kid, right? Now one Christmas, you have, you have a kid. And he has all sorts of gifts around him. And he opens up all of those presents. And when he's all done, he's not happy He's not grateful, he doesn't go up and hug grandma, instead he throws a fit, right? You know someone like this? You seen this happen, right? Like what's happening in his heart is that he's looking at these gifts and instead of feeling grateful and excited about all of these new gifts he has, all of these new toys that he has to play with, instead somewhere deep down in his heart, and man, it starts early, doesn't it? But somewhere deep down in his heart, he's feeling like, I deserve more. I need more, I want more, I was supposed to have more. And that crying out for more does not end whenever we learn to be polite enough to say thank you, but it continues on as we grow up. It just continues in different ways. The man, I need more from my job. I need more from my marriage. I need more money. I need more power. I need more status. I need more health. I need more influence. And our hearts continue this tendency of saying more. I need more. I deserve more. I'm supposed to have more because we're selfish and we grow entitled to the gift and cold to the giver. And as we ask for that more, it turns us into ourselves, inward on ourselves. And again, it makes our relationship with God, with the giver whose gifts are good, cold. Cold. Right. Imagine this. Imagine if um, you woke up one morning, and your husband or your wife had made you breakfast in bed. I'm sure they already do this, so you may not have to imagine it. But imagine with me for a second that this is something that they did. Right? If you're anything like me, at first you'll probably react with excitement, gratitude. Wow! This is awesome. I didn't expect this. Fantastic. Gonna move on with my day. And now what if this keeps happening again and again, day after day, week after week, week, even month after month? Well, again, if your heart is anything like mine, then probably you're going to grow to expect this gift. And as soon as you start to expect a gift, it's no longer a gift, right? It's an entitlement. You begin to set your alarm by it. You begin to wake up because you think it's going to happen, right? You organize your morning around it. And so what happens if there's a morning where it doesn't happen, right? What happens if there's a morning where your husband or your wife wakes up late themselves and they have to rush out the door? Well, the, the, the emotion is anger, disappointment, irritation. Because this thing that was only ever supposed to be a gift, an expression of love from someone who loves you and wants your good had turned into an entitlement, something that we expected, something that we thought was ours by rights. Right? what the bible says is that this is what selfishness does it looks at the gifts of god and it, it grabs onto them and in grabbing onto them it actually pushes away the giver who is good and the problem with this is that it goes it just goes so deep within us that some of you say man that's not me because i i go to church and i volunteer and i give and i'm here every single week and every single month so I'm not selfish because I'm giving so much to the church. Well, the problem with selfishness, Luke tells us, that even if you have the right answers, you might still be selfish. That these guys, man, they know who Jesus is. They've correctly identified him. They've correctly seen that he's someone that can heal him, that he's someone that can provide them with the healing that they want. And yet even though they know the right answers and even though they do the right things on the surface, their hearts are still sick with selfishness. So how do we identify this within ourselves right the question is not are we selfish because the answer to that question is yes but how do we identify which gifts of god our hearts are reaching out for and saying more i think it comes by asking ourselves the question what happens when the gifts of god change in our lives What happens when God changes his gifts in our lives? Because here's the thing, God's always giving us gifts. God's always lavishing us with gifts, right? The Bible says that God causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. You woke up this morning, there was breath in your lungs, it was a beautiful day outside. Maybe you saw the sunrise, you got in your car, you came here, you're holding coffee that was grown somewhere across the world and you get to drink it and it makes you feel awesome and there's air conditioning in here, right? There are all sorts of gifts that we experience on an everyday basis. The question is not, is God giving us gifts? The question is, what happens when those gifts change in our lives? Do our hearts react with anger, with disappointment, with hopelessness, with despair? Or do they react with trust? One is indicative of a heart that is selfish, and the other is indicative of a heart that knows God that knows his character, that knows he's good, that knows that he's not just trying to mess with us, that in the words of Paul in Romans 8, 28, that he's working all things together for the good of those that love him. And so that heart is able to trust God even when the gifts of God are changing in our lives. I remember something like this happening when I was when I was young, when I was growing up. My dad started his own business. And he started his own business in 2008. which you might remember was like, literally the worst year in American history to start your own business. But he went out to start his own business and my parents didn't hide that this was going to be hard from us. They sat us down and they told us that things might be a little different for a while, that dad might be gone more, that mom might seem a little more stressed, that we might eat out less. And yet for as anxious as I was as a kid, and you got a sense of that earlier, for as anxious as I was as a kid, I I really don't remember being anxious about that. Why? Why? Well, I think it's because I knew my dad. I knew his talent. I knew his character. I knew his ability. And so in response to changing gifts and changing circumstances, I trusted instead of worrying. I've been experiencing this in a different way recently. Elizabeth and I have been married for three and a half years. We're young. Um, and yet for the very first time, we're starting to deal with, with some potentially kind of scary health issues. And maybe you remember when, when you first had to deal with health issues. Like it always comes out of left field, doesn't it? You, you never really see it coming. So as this began to pop up unexpectedly a few months ago, as I was journaling and praying, I realized that I was in a, pl- like a really low, hopeless, despairing place. And as I began to try to figure out why, to unpack my heart, I realized it's because I was entitled to the gift of health. That I believed God owed it to us that we had moved to Washington, D.C., we had listened to his call, we had done something that was hard, and I felt like God owed it to us to provide us kind of health, good, robust health. And when, it, when I didn't have it, my heart despaired because I thought I was supposed to. And so I had to begin to move to a position of trust. And how do we do that? How when we're so selfish and when we glom onto the gifts of God like this instead of the giver, how do we move from a place of selfishness to trust? What is the antidote? What is the solution? Well, Luke tells us. It's gratitude that we look for the gifts of God in our lives, and we respond with gratitude. And in responding with gratitude, we come to know ourselves differently, and we come to know our Lord differently. This is what happens to one of these men. Starting in verse 15, Luke tells us that one of them, when he saw he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. right, this guy is so excited about what's happened, that he's running on the road, and he's Kind of yelling loudly to himself. Maybe he looks a little foolish. And he threw himself at Jesus' feet. This is very aggressive action. He threw himself at Jesus' feet. And he thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus asked the Samaritan, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. So what's happened here? Well, Luke is kind of twisting the story for us, and he's trying to shock us a little bit, right? That you have this one person, he turns around, he throws himself at the feet of Jesus, he really kind of humbles himself and even humiliates himself before Jesus, and it's a Samaritan. This is not what you would expect a Samaritan to do that a Samaritan would never humble himself before a Jewish person like this and yet that's what this Samaritan is doing and Luke wants us to ask the question why why did this Samaritan man do this and the answer is that in response to the gift of God his heart didn't move to a position of selfishness it moved towards gratitude that as he's walking on his way he he looks and he sees man I'm healed this is crazy. And then he realizes, I couldn't have done this by myself. I couldn't have made this happen by myself. And so, in response to this gift of God, his heart does not cry out, More. I need more. I'm supposed to have more. Instead, his heart cries out, Too much. I didn't deserve this. This is more than I could have ever made happen for myself. And in response to that too much, he turns around and he runs back towards Jesus and he throws himself at his feet because gratitude has led him to understand himself differently. He now understands that he is not the center of his story, that he is not the only one who matters in his life. He now understands that there is someone better, that there is a giver whose gift is good and gratitude for that giver has caused him to step back and worship, and gratitude. Because this is what gratitude does. It forces us to acknowledge that sometimes God gives us gifts, or even other people give us gifts that are outside of our control, right? Like the the, the extravagance of the gift is sometimes proportional with how how much we couldn't have made that gift happen by ourselves, right? Like when I graduated seminary, my in-laws bought me a smoker, a big green egg, And I'm not going to lie. I cried. (laughs) I cried when I got that smoker, right? Because that gift was so unexpected. I hadn't asked them for that. It's a gift that was too big for me to get by myself. And yet because they loved me and because they wanted to celebrate what had happened, they, they gave me this gift, right? I couldn't have controlled that. I couldn't have made that happen. And the gratitude that arose, arose out of the fact that I realized that 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 was something that was outside of my control. And what Luke is saying is that this is what gratitude does to our hearts. It moves us back and it forces us to acknowledge that we actually aren't in control because there is someone better in the center of our story who is in control, who is lavishing good gifts on us, someone that we can trust and therefore someone that we can rest in. But selfishness does the opposite. Selfishness convinces us that we are supposed to be in the center of our story. And that in order to make sure that we always stay in the center of our story, that we need to be in control of anything that would cause us to be pushed out of the center, right? And so in selfishness, we're told that we're supposed to be in control all the time. And I think that this is why so many of us are on edge all the time. We have been promised a world that we can control with the touch of our fingers. And yet we discover again and again that that is simply not true, right? Right? You discover it in small ways. You order something on Amazon, you click one day shipping, it comes in two days, I don't need that anymore, right? Irritation, (laughs) anger. You go to the grocery store, there's one thing that you need, you need something kinda niche, like Chipotle's and Dobo or something, right? And you go and they don't have that. And now you have to rethink what you're gonna make for dinner, right? There's irritation, there's anger, there's disappointment. You're driving on Luetta and you drive through a dead spot and all of a sudden your phone call drops. There's irritation, and there's disappointment, and there's anger. As you realize that the world is not actually controllable and your life actually is not controllable. This is to say nothing of the bigger things, the health issues that we face, the choices that our children make that we didn't teach them to make, the things that our bosses say to us when they're having a bad day. We discover again and again and again that the world is not something that we can really control and that when we try to control it, we end up playing whack-a-mole in 80 different areas of our life. And when we try to control something over here, something pops up over here that we can't control. And so we try to control that. And then something pops up over here that we can't control. And all that ends up happening is that we rile ourselves up into an anxious and stressful mess as we try to control our lives because we think that we're supposed to be the center of our story. Luke is saying, you don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. There's another option. There's gratitude. And that ingratitude, as we step back, we realize that there's someone else who is in control. We realize there's someone else who is at the center of our story. We realize that there is a giver whose gifts are good to us and who is lavishing great gifts on us even now. And in that, in the words of Hebrews, we can rest. We can enter his rest. We can enter his peace. And that rest doesn't only exist now. It exists with the gifts that he has given us, the ultimate gifts that he has given us, eternal life in him. That rest doesn't only come now as we express great gratitude to the giver, but it comes later. That as we rest, we get to contemplate and understand and get to know our God in a new and different way. That's what happens to this man, right? This man, as he's going on his way, Jesus tells him to show himself to the priest. And again, he's a Samaritan, so he has his own priestly system. And so as he's going on his way, he's thinking about which priest he's supposed to show himself to. Am I supposed to show myself to the Samaritan priest? Well, probably not because Jesus was a Jew and he doesn't believe in that. Am I supposed to show myself to the Jewish priest? Well, I don't know if I believe in that. I don't know if I can do that. And as he's going back and forth in his mind, trying to figure out where he's supposed to go, it clicks. Oh, I've already seen the priest. I've already met him. And so he turns around and he runs right back to that horrible little town where he had languished for years and he goes back to the priest that he's already met and he falls at his feet. And this priest this time doesn't just heal him of his skin, he's already done that, but he heals him of something much deeper and much more fundamental. He heals him of the sin that's within his heart. He gives him an even greater gift, and a gift that he couldn't control even more. And as he receives this gift, he worships. He worships in great gratitude. This is why gratitude is is really the antidote to selfishness. Not because in itself this one emotion can solve our selfishness, but because it points us to the one who has already saved us from our sin, who has the power to save us from our selfishness, who has the power to actually provide us the antidote in the first place, and who has done so by giving us a great gift that we could never have given by ourselves that it comes by his great selflessness, that in response to our selfishness, he doesn't push himself further away, but instead he breaks into our story, right? He breaks into our world. This is the story of Christmas that we'll go over for the next few weeks that Jesus broke into history. He broke into our world. He broke into our lives. And as he did so, he gave us the greatest gift of all, which is himself. It is a gift that we could not have attained by ourselves and that we could not control. And yet in his goodness, the giver gives himself. And he goes to the cross and he dies for our sin. And he rises again and he just keeps giving us gifts as he gives us the gift of eternal life in him. That in response to the gifts of God, we don't have to respond with the cry of more, but we should reply with the cry of too much as we press into him and know him and experience eternal life in him. He is our great giver. His gifts are good. And the proper response is worship and gratitude. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so grateful. We are grateful. We're grateful for what it is that you've done for us. We're grateful for your goodness. We're grateful for the fact that even though we are so selfish, you are so selfless. That you are a selfless God. Even though you deserve to be all about yourself, you deserve to push us away. That's what we deserve. You came to us. You saved us. And you poured yourself out for us. And now as we are raised to walk with newness of life in you, you continue to give us good gifts. You give us the fruits of the Spirit. You give us your presence. You give us your love. You give us your peace. And we look forward to the day when when there will even be more gifts, when you will raise us with you in heaven, where you will raise us on your throne at your right hand with you, where we will receive the final gift, which is eternal life, peace, and rest in you. Jesus, I pray that you will help us to be a people that are grateful, that are grateful for the gifts that you've given us, that we will not be selfish, that we will not cry out more, that you will impress on our hearts the fact that what you have given really is too much, and that in response to that we will worship and be grateful. We love you, Father. It's in your holy and most precious name that we pray.